Uncomfortable Truth, and I'm welcoming Lisa Lauder today as my guest. A few words about Lisa. Uh, she's involved in two of the great firings of my life, and that is that my first firing was um, when I was fired from uh, my position as president of a consulting firm, and I stopped being a consultant, and I got to become Alan. The second was a few years ago when I fired my technical guy who was stealing everything that wasn't nailed down, including intellectual property, and I found Lisa, uh, who has been a client of mine, now I'm a client of hers, and she has done extraordinary work for my business. So Lisa, welcome to The Uncomfortable Truth. Thank you, Alan, it's good to be here. Uh, why don't you take a minute and tell people about what your business is today? Sure, so my business, it, it changes by the day, the busier that we get, but uh, primarily I help people develop marketing strategies that allow them to reach their business goals and objectives and I have a team that does marketing implementation. So we do websites, copywriting, email marketing, social media marketing, graphic design, you name it. Anything you need done online, we can do it. If you take a look at social media in particular, the social media platforms, has, has social media, have social media, matured and grown, uh, progressed the way you expected? Or uh, is there a difference between what you expected and, and where we are today? It's a great question. I would say that the technology has grown and matured in order to allow people greater capabilities in terms of the type of content they share and the way they interact with people. I would say that uh, society in many cases has not grown. If anything, it has brought out some of the, how do I say this? Some of the, most opinionated keyboard cowboys I've ever seen. It's like we have lost our sense of uh, what is morally appropriate to say to someone in some cases based on how I see people communicate with each other online. So my impression is that people say things on social media they would never say in person. I agree. And my impression also is that uh, for all of the benefit it brings, and we'll get into that in a few minutes, one of the sad parts of it, just like free speech also is provided for pornography. Uh, you know, I remember seeing Avenue Q, the, the great puppet musical with full frontal puppet nudity. <laughs> they, there's a song called The Internet Was Made For Porn, you know? Uh, and so there are always these, these um, the negatives that come with the positives. The, the longstanding joke was that no one knows on the internet that you're a dog, right? But I suspect that we do. What mm -hmm. do you think? Yeah, I think that I think that people's true colors show up in the most interesting ways online. And I think that, you know, there's an expression, it's hard to hate up close. I think that what <laughs> you said about people saying things online that they would never say to somebody face to face, there there's some type of false sense of security when it comes to the way we communicate online that often um, it emboldens people to be more vicious than they normally would be. And I guess that's where you see, you know, they say a duck is a duck well, is a duck. Basically, you can't get smacked. I mean, that's right. one of the reasons it emboldens people, right? But it's interesting to me that you can actually learn more about a person's personality and inner thinking on the internet than you often can in person. And Absolutely. I think that has vast implications for marketing, you know? So what do you think is the most fatal mistake 
to avoid when people employ social media and the internet in general to market their services? I think the biggest mistake people can make is failing to consider their personal and emotional outbursts in conjunction with the professional they want to be known for. And so what I mean by that is you can have great content and you can have a great uh, strategy for how you share that content to attract buyers to you. But if you have one unhealthy emotional outburst on social media where you let your personal emotions get in the way, you can grossly uh, undermine your professionalism and it can really have serious repercussions on your business. So I know you and you're very generous and you have a big heart, uh, sometimes too big, you know, I mean, you know, it's too generous sometimes, not with me, of course, but with others. Uh, but when I read the stuff you post on Facebook, for example, it reflects you that way. And so mm -hmm. there's a whole person there and reflects your good deeds. But for a lot of people, they don't seem to realize that there aren't um, filters that separate their business and personal posts. And, and what they say on a personal basis often undermines them on a professional yes. basis. Yeah, I agree. I think I often yeah, advise so clients that, you know, even if we look at something as polarizing as politics, I, you know, the advice that I give my clients is if you're going to engage in political conversations, you need to ask yourself, does it help or hurt your business? Because if your business has nothing to do with politics, you want to be sure, you want to be careful that you are not alienating 50% of your client base through the way that you communicate and express yourself on social media. Uh, there's a long time test called the smell test, you know, and it's if, if I say this or write this with its smell in the morning or if this were in the Wall Street Journal in the morning, how would I feel? Mm -hmm. And I think it's the same situation, the same dynamic here. In other words, would I feel comfortable saying this or behaving this way in a buyer's office? Right. Uh, and if you ask yourself that question, say, my God, I never say that in a buyer's office. Then why are you saying it on social media? Mm hmm. People so will rationalize that it's because, well, I use Facebook for personal and what they, they fail to understand or appreciate is you've allowed some of your buyers to be your friends on Facebook and you have posted content on Facebook or social, whatever social channel publicly. So it's not, you know, segregated to only a small group of people who know you personally. You can't just compartmentalize who you are that way online. Now, from a business standpoint, I mean, let's take LinkedIn, where people are making largely professional uh, posts, their articles or their, you know, postings from one thing or another, and there are, there are endless videos, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to ask you something as a professional and as a woman here, and, and, and it is this. I think that a lot of these videos, and I, you know, I enjoy informal videos, like, you know, smartphones fine, you don't have to have a big studio, but what's in the minds of some of these women who appear in these videos? with their hair a mess and over their eyes in some cases, like a sheepdog, or some of them who have this decolletage, these deep cut V-necks when they're trying to talk to you about responsible leadership. Now, this might be sexist and I realize the guys don't show up well and they need to shave or things like that, but I would just like to get your view of this. <laughs> you know, it's, it's interesting. We judge women by a different standard than we judge men when it comes to 
their professional presentation. It's not just on LinkedIn videos, it's also on stages. A guy can go on stage and he can be wearing jeans, running shoes, a t-shirt, and a ball cap, and we will think he is the best speaker in the world. A woman will go on stage and she, you know, she's, she's got roots in, showing in her hair and she's dressed a little frumpy and we will immediately judge that person as not being an effective speaker because of the way they look. So I think that it's unfair that we judge women more harshly than men. And at the same time, I think that we all have a responsibility to show up the way we want to be perceived. And so if I want to be perceived a certain way with a certain level of professionalism, I want people to view me as an authority, as someone who is articulate and can speak well on camera, then I don't want my image, the way I look, to take away from the messaging. So I think you have to ask yourself whether or not the way you show up is adding value or if it is diminishing the, the credibility that you bring to the table. And as sad as it is for women, I think we have to be mindful that we are often judged more harshly than men are for the way we look. That is a great, uh, very carefully considered response. And of course, you had no idea I was going to ask you that. I, I would say in response to your very final sentence about being judged more harshly, ironically, often that judgment that's so harsh is by other women. Mm -hmm. That's been my experience, mm -hmm. you know? Well, thank you for that. I appreciate that. I've learned it's something. It's funny. There. You know, uh, you you always uh, talk about the the weather women in Miami. There's certain yeah. shows or certain, I've seen you post pictures and, you know, you are always questioning why they are dressed a certain way and why we need to see these full body shots of women when they are talking about the weather. And I remember looking at one of your posts and thinking like, that is so sexist. That is so not true. That is, you know, we show full body shots of men when they're, they're on camera talking about the weather. So I started looking, I started looking for the full body shot of a guy that I could take a picture of to show you. And the truth is, they don't show men the uh -huh. same way uh -huh. on the weather as they do women. And so we are treated, food. yes, we are treated yeah. differently. And we have to be aware yeah, of it and use it to our own advantage. All right, so let me change the topic before I, I sink completely here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> give, me, give me the three best practices you'd recommend to people to market themselves um, using technology. Using technology or using social media, like online? Marketing? Whatever you like. Whatever you like. Give well, me three best practices. The, the first best practice is really boring. It's be consistent. Create content on a regular and consistent basis because if you are sporadic in terms of the content that you create, then you, people will not see you repeatedly enough for you to make a strong impression. So I think consistency in terms of content creation is the first thing. Uh, secondly, invest in your brand and ensure that how you are portraying your content, whether it is your professional photo, your uh, video setup, the branding of your documents, etc., make sure that you are actually presenting yourself in the way that you want people to perceive you. And then the third thing that I would say is pay attention to the trends, but pay attention to the trends where your buyers are. 
So, you know, Snapchat is great and it's trendy and it's fun and you can do all kinds of cool photos. But if your buyers aren't on Snapchat, you don't need to know about that. What you should be paying attention to is where your buyers hang out and what are the trends that are happening on that particular channel right now. So for example, on LinkedIn, uh, videos are getting a lot of traction on LinkedIn. Branded documents that are uploaded are getting a lot of traction on LinkedIn. Uh, private messaging, so personalization of messaging, where you're having conversations with people versus just trying to get them to download something or buy something from you are helping people to grow their business. So pay attention to what's working on the platform where your buyers are and go all in there. I want to mention a best practice to you and get your reaction. Uh, in Rhode Island here, uh, Governor Raimondo, Gina Raimondo, uh, is in her second term. I know her. Of course, it's Rhode Island, so everybody knows everybody, right? It's a half a degree of separation. And before this crisis, she was the 40, 47th most popular governor in the nation. That's at the bottom, not the top, 47th, you know? So in other words, the third least popular. But now her ratings have skyrocketed, mm -hmm. and she's handling the crisis very, very well. And every single day she's on TV at a press conference at 1 or 1.30, as most governors are. But every day also, every morning, first thing when I open up my computer, there's an email from her to every citizen in the state. Mm -hmm. And it shows charts and graphs and shows the phases of reopening and so forth. And I find it very effective. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm wondering why you think more professionals aren't doing this as a matter of course with their clients, with their prospects, why don't they have some kind of regular weekly or daily or monthly briefing to show their expertise? As you know, I have a scan of newsletters and mm -hmm. videos and audios and so forth. Why don't other people take advantage of this? It's, it doesn't cost anything. Well, I think there are three reasons. One, they don't know how to <laughs> use the technology themselves. And so they rationalize not being able to use the technology and avoid doing it. Two, they don't want to invest the money in hiring somebody to do that work for them. And three, they're not really as confident in their subject matter expertise and the value that they can contribute as they should be. So there's this whole fish in water theory, right? You're a fish in water, you breathe in the water, you don't realize that nobody else can breathe in water. And I think that people often think that their expertise and what they know isn't super valuable to other people because it's easy for them. And so they miss opportunities to really show up and serve and, and make an impact because they minimize what they bring to the table. I want to pick up on one of the points you just mentioned about uh, they, they won't invest. Uh, do you find, as when people approach you to talk about uh, using technology to market better, uh, and you talked about your staff, I mean, you're not some solo in your bedroom there, you're, you're, you've got a, a, an excellent staff, by the way, and you, you've got people assigned to various kinds of things. Do you find price sensitivity from people who, like the prospects they themselves complain about, are solely cost conscious? You know, in other words, I've got a prospect, but they don't want to spend any money. But then they come to you, and they don't want to spend any money. Is that is that common? It it's common depending on the threshold of where people are at in their business. So what I have experienced is that. Uh, people who are not earning a lot of money in their business are way more price sensitive than somebody who has built a seven-figure consulting practice, as an example. The person who has built a more successful practice is willing to invest. They're willing to invest financially. They're willing to invest in creating the content. And they also see this as a long-term gain. 
Whereas somebody who is starting out, maybe they're earning a hundred or under $300,000 a year, as an example, they are less willing to invest because they still have more of a scarcity mindset. They're afraid that they're not going to get back what they put into uh, their marketing. So they don't see the short-term ROI and they should be more patient about that. Exactly. Uh, do you think that brand building a brand follows social media utilization or the reverse that social media utilization is more effective if you walk in with a strong brand? I think it depends. I think that, you know, if you're looking at a brand that's already well established and developed, you know, there are some pros uh, to being able to walk onto a social media platform. I mean, if you're uh, a famous musician, as an example, you're already famous. So your brand precedes you. But I think that if you are someone who is trying to build a brand, uh, there's lots of people on social media who have built their brands just simply by showing up. And if you ask them what their brand is, they probably couldn't describe their brand to you. I think the thing that we forget about social media is social is about social. It's about people. And, you know, somebody uh, said to me last week on a coaching call, they said, oh, you are so good at social media. And I said, no, I'm really good at relationship building. And because I'm really good at relationship building and interacting with people, social media works really well for me. And so I think that, you know, you can have the most powerful brand in the world, but if you're not good at interacting with people, if you can't endear people to you, social media won't be as effective. Last question. Uh, you said at the top that you were a, a marketing strategist. Uh, what's the next big thing you see? Well, what do you anticipate coming that uh, is going to be new and different and exciting? Oh, that's a great question. What's the next big thing? I don't know, Alan. Like, there's so much changing right now. I think that, you know, if you look at Facebook as an example, they're taking on Zoom uh, in terms of the, the chat rooms that they are setting up for people. I don't know that there is any real next big thing in terms of how social media is used. I mean, you might see more people using augmented reality, things like that in, in terms of social media, but I think that's more young people that are trying to do fun things. I think for professionals, uh, it, it's really leveraging the technology around video and audio and, and written content to help you get your brand out there to interact with people. I don't know that we're going to see huge transformational changes in terms of how social media operates in the next few years. We haven't really seen that many changes in the last five years. I mean, video has been around for a while now. Live streaming has been around for a while. I'm, I'm really not sure what the next quote, big thing would be, I think there's a lot of people that are still trying to catch up with what's big right now. I can't tell you how refreshing it is to hear an expert say, I don't know. So that's very nice. Uh, Lisa, tell people where they can reach you, please. Uh, they can reach me at lisalarter.com. Uh, Lisa, L-A-R-T-E-R.com. Yes. Uh, I want to thank you for being with me today. I want to thank you for putting up with my uh, unknown questions and my curveballs and, and, uh, and some softballs too. Uh, and I want to thank you most of all for your generosity and all the help you've given me. 75% of my income comes from things that didn't exist three or four years ago. And Lisa is a key player in that. So thank you. Continued success. Thank you very much, Alan. I appreciate it.